0: Hey, 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 it's your girl, Queenie, and I am here with another episode of Bar Talks the to Podcast. Today, we are interviewing with Mrs. Regina Rossi-Valentine. She's an amazing author. Um, she's a voiceover actress. She's a singer. I mean, she's done so many things. She's a great mom, and you're going to be able to listen in to our discussion Um because she just wrote, she's dropping a book and um, the book is quite interesting. It's called I Loved You More. Um, it's how she chose her son over her narcissistic ex-husband. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation because she's very candid and open and honest. And we share similar stories, of course, because once you've dated one of those people or been married to one of those people or you've stayed with one of those types of people, well, you've endured the same thing. Um, but please, you know, join us for a conversation. Um, and if you are enduring or dealing with any type of dysfunction in your relationship, you may be able to get some pointers from um, Regina as she shares her story. Um, and definitely go out there and grab her book. Uh, you'll be able to get all the information Um, at the end of our podcast. So stay tuned till the end because you don't want to miss the information. Um, Yeah. So without further ado, enjoy the show. Oh my goodness, the times we are living in. Hey everybody, it's your girl Queenie. We are here once again for a wonderful conversation. I have missed you all. I haven't been on in a while. I've been talking um, to the same three amazing, four amazing ladies um, during this Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So I haven't had a chance to really get out and talk to too many other people. And then today happened. I have a chance to actually interview someone other than my three wonderful friends that's been going along with me on this journey this month. And today coming to Bar Talks, the podcast is Mrs. Regina Rossi-Valentine. I'm super duper excited about this interview. So let me just say welcome, Regina.
1: Well, hi, nice to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. And you're looking gorgeous. Oh, well,
1: you know, it's a day where makeup was necessary.
0: <laughs> yes, we get to put on <laughs> lipstick, girl. Isn't that wonderful? That's right. <laughs> so um, Bartok's family, uh, Miss Regina, or oh, Miss Valentine, I think this name is so beautiful. I love your name. just Thank so you. Uh, she's, the own, she's an owner, singer, actress, voiceover talent, and author of, at Regina Rossi Entertainment, LLC please, please, please. I had to dive right into this because when I saw voice over talent, I was like, mean, like, you know, like the people that you hear on TV and you don't know what they look like, or even Siri, please tell me about that. What is that like? You
1: know, I got into it by accident because I was doing on-camera auditions in the Philadelphia market for like a year. Uh And I kept hearing great read, great read, but I wasn't getting booked. (laughs) Well, I have a lazy eye. And the camera doesn't lie and the eyes are the connector. So I felt like I wasn't getting the jobs because of that. And I thought, if they're telling me the truth about great read, then I need to go behind the mic in the box. And and so I took three months. I wrote all my own copy. I bought studio time and I produced myself because I didn't know any better. I was so (laughs) great. My first demo. And from there, it just took off. I was doing it part-time in the Philadelphia market. When I moved back to Virginia um, in 2011, I started doing it full-time. And it's it's great. First of all, nobody sees you, so you can yeah. go in a booth in your PJs and do a voice job with coffee. That's perfect. Um, but it has evolved over the years from just being the voice mm-hmm. to now to compete in the market. You have to do the voice, and then you have to edit the work, and then you have to send it to the client. So mm-hmm. it's your engineer and voice all in one.
0: Wow. So now did you have experience in the engineering part or this is something that you, in the editing, I mean, is this totally something you self-taught. learned on your own? Yep. Totally self-taught. Um,
1: but a lot of my life has been initiation by fire. You know, when I go into something new, um, and I'm driven to do it, I just, yeah try to find out a
0: way to make it happen right of course of course so with that is there anything that we would know you from your voice from or Uh, yeah probably well maybe
1: um the coolest job i ever did was i'm the voice of eddie a little boy of the fisher price little people oh my god back when they were celebrating their 50th anniversary they were doing these shows that went to all the national zoos around the country and i and it was a musical and i was eddie um, it was pre-recorded, of course. And then they released a new musical toy, the little people fun um, little people fun sounds farm. And I was Eddie on there and sang all these songs as Eddie. And <laughs> um, and it was funny because when they first booked me, they said, Are you gonna be offended that we want you to do one of the little boy characters? And I went, Of course not. <laughs> so so I'm on a little a Fisher Price toy. Oh. Um I've done a lot of other uh big things for um, can't even think right now, a lot yeah. of it's on the website and YouTube page, but um, that's probably the most popular.
0: That is super cool. So, did you buy the Fisher Price toy? Yeah, because they didn't give me one. <laughs> oh Before. my god, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd have bought them and sent them to all of my family and told me, you guys better play that toy. My husband <laughs> and I would sit in the store and we'd hit the button, and he's but... like,
1: That's true. <laughs>
0: That is super cool. That is super cool. But I know that you're also a singer. um, So tell me a little bit about that as well. See, let me just, let me plug this really quick for the listeners. Um, I have been connected with Miss Valentine um, through a mutual friend. Thank you, Ernest. If you're listening. (laughs) Um, And so, of course, I've had an opportunity to kind of follow you, connect with you on social media, but others don't know as much about you as I do, of course. So you're a singer. Um, I mean, you've done so many things. You've been in the arts. I know that we talked about that. So tell me a little bit about that. So I
1: actually come from it um, through genetics. Um, My father was a full opera scholarship student at Juilliard. And between third and fourth year, he was told, why don't you go audition for Broadway and see what that's like? And he literally auditioned for uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein. And he was immediately cast in South Pacific. Um, He didn't go back to Juilliard. And then he met my mother, and so of the five siblings, my brother and I, the two youngest, carried on the music tradition. Really? He was stronger in conducting, composing, and piano and organ, and singing was for me. That's your thing. We thought we were the carpenters, Richard and Karen Carpenter. <laughs>
0: Did you? Hey, we would do all okay. this stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, But I love singing. It um, It's something that um, brings a high mm-hmm. when you're on stage and you're performing for other people. And it's just this escape into another world. I love musical theater. He's more classical. Um, but I gave it all up for what we're going to talk about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> for love. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Boy, Boy, I I understand. But yeah, I know, right? I do understand. So, um, you know, I guess around your home growing up as kids, probably during the holidays, a lot of singing, a lot um, of.
1: Wow. It was uh, especially when we got together, because I have 40 first cousins just on my mother's side. and so we are the big family once a year parties it was tons of singing and tons of showcase you do a solo you do a solo um it was yeah it was incredible we had songbooks and everything
0: yeah no no pressure (laughs) (laughs) oh it sounds like a lot of fun though you know it gives you a chance to really hone in on those skills because guess what you have a singing family and they're all critiquing you (laughs)
1: That's right. That's right. You got to be on
0: all the time. Like you got to be sharp with it. Okay. 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 So let's see. Actress, voiceover, songstress. You got, I know you sing in the choir at church. Yes. (laughs) All all my life. My dad, you know, parents did that. But the reason why we're here is because you are an author. Not by trade. Okay. Uh, So
1: where life led me.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I think that's sometimes the best way to um, just lean into the way life is pulling and pushing you. Just lean into it and embrace it. Um, No better time than the present. Uh, It brings me to our discussion. Um, You are writing or have written a book called or named I Love You More, Choosing My Child Over My Narcissistic Ex. Yes. I will have to drink to that. Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, this is the reason that Ernest felt that he should connect you and I, because we both have um, obviously taken a very similar <laughs> journey uh, in the hopes of finding love and relationship, you know, all that wonderful stuff that we dream of, you know, and then you wind up running into one of these personality traits. Yeah. And it changes your views on life, uh, you know, it, it, does something different to you, especially when you realize who they are, what they are. And ultimately you have to choose yourself or, and, or your child. Right. Um, and this is what brought us together. And there's a lot of listeners that will hear this that are, probably can relate that can probably relate, um, or gone through something similar. So I have a few questions about this. All right. You ready? (laughs) Um, I'm strapped in. (laughs) So my first question about this is, um, I wanna know what brought you to the point of goodbye in that relationship?
1: Um, He was just very violent. He fought with me and argued all the time. Um, it's, it definitely became clear to me it was not love. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, in hindsight, with subsequent relationships of his, I saw a pattern where he just chose women that he could use financially and manipulate and get something out of them to move on to the next till you got smart enough to walk away. But he was, he was very violent. And there were actually signs Wow. I call red flags in the book.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, well, actually the chapter is called hindsight and, and ignoring the red flags. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and quite honestly, I've changed my opinion about um, living together before marriage because okay. it doesn't choose, it doesn't show their true colors until you're with them all the time and they can't hide it from you.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: we met, we dated for a little while, and then he was getting out of the Navy to go to law school And so for that first year of law school, we only saw each other like twice a month. So it was always a honeymoon. He was always on his best behavior. We were engaged to be married. And, um, but during our engagement, the biggest red flag, and I, I came close to not ignoring it because I ended up throwing my engagement ring at him, telling him the wedding was off. And it was because he, and he was married before me. So okay. this was my, you wait your whole life to pick your wedding registry. It's a big deal for a young bride. And he was so controlling and so involved in every aspect of it that we had a huge fight over a sterling silver pattern, which back uh-huh. then you picked sterling silver, <clears throat> that was the nineties. Got it. <laughs> and, um, and I mean, he literally was yelling and screaming at me and said, I've already given in on the crystal. I'm not going to give in on this. And it was a, I mean, monstrous fight. But what he, the way he responded when I threw the ring at him and said it was over was he did what narcs do that I didn't know then, but I saw in time was a pattern of behavior, which was, I broke down and cried and please take me back. I'm so sorry. And you fall for it. Yeah. 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 Fell for it. And I fell for it again. And I married the man and, and it just continued to happen. Um, But So to leave was a point where I asked him for two and a half years of a three and a half year marriage for counseling. And he kept saying, no, we can fix it. We can fix it. When I finally said, I want a separation. He said, okay, I'll go. But I had checked out at that point and I didn't see him changing. And I think I mentioned this to you. I was a Catholic. I I am Catholic Mm -hmm. and I truly married for life. I'm married for life. And I sat there in front of that therapist and said, I will not do the Catholic thing and stay married for the sake of the child, because this is not what love is between two people. And this is not what I want my child to learn. Mm -hmm. And and that was it for me.
0: Yeah. Wow. That is, that is so amazing how it seems like we've all dated or almost married or married the same people, right? We've all, we've, many of us have gone through those same exact experiences, we've also ignored the flags yeah we've ignored i mean the flags be waving but we want to see the good in people we want people to see the good in us right Right. so it kind of makes sense unfortunately
1: people down the road of course nobody wants to say anything while you're engaged or married yeah but when it blew up and and it's funny because i've always been an open book with my family i talked with them about everything it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's not that I was a big mouth, but I shared. Yeah. I never shared anything about this. And I didn't even realize it till my boss at the time, who I'm still friends with said to me, you never talked to me about anything, but I could tell, and I was new to the area. I was living up North and I'm from Virginia. And he said, but you were a newlywed and you did not act like somebody who was happy and newly married. Mm
0: -hmm. I knew
1: something was up. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I told my family, suddenly everybody starts sharing all of their concerns with you. <laughs> Isn't <and> that <there> something? <laughs> and, and they say, well, we didn't say anything to you because you probably wouldn't have listened, which is probably right. true. But oddly, I had a cousin at the time who was 16. So I'm 20. When I divorced, I guess I got married at 29, divorced, you know, uh, 31, 32. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently when he was 16 and we got married, he said to my uncle, his dad, did Aunt Barbara, which is my mother, did Aunt Barbara pick him for her because he seems a little too perfect.
0: <laughs> so a teenager
1: saw him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh
0: you know, yeah. You know, the, the younger people can see him. The younger, the younger people, and I say that because I had two younger people in my life at the time, um, and they noticed the issues. And my, my daughter probably talked a little bit more than my son about it but my daughter never, she saw right through the actions and the behaviors. And, and, you know, and I kind of chalked it up, like, she don't like anyone anyway, but no, she really, (laughs) she truly saw it. And, and you're right. After you go through this now, suddenly people will, you know, like, you know, like, Hey, yeah, I saw something or I didn't think this, or I would, you know, but I think that we, you know, the, the, person with them sometimes we enable the behavior by being quiet um. truly
1: yes and I was and I talk about that in the book I talk about how in the world did I let that go because I'm such yeah. a strong independent woman my husband now of 17 years will tell you the thing that most attracted him to me was when I told him at the beginning because I came to this place over time I wasn't like it with my ex but I said I don't need a man yeah he found that attractive, but I had come to that place where I didn't need to be with someone. But when I was younger, I did, I had long-term relationships, but I went one to the next to the next. Mm -hmm. And, and when I divorced my ex, I mean, my brother um, who we lived with just for a month before we moved to Delaware said, Oh my God, he talked down to you and was so condescending and cutting. And I sit there and go, and, and there are, instances in public and restaurants things he did to berate waiters and demand bills to be comped because of something that he made bigger than it was and I wanted to crawl under the table and it yeah. happened once when we were engaged and once when we were married with his friends later and I just beat myself up and went why did I think that was okay mm-hmm. you make
0: excuses for them yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. I, I see many of us do the same thing with that. Um, now, now I think, you know, after we've gone through it and we recognize it, I don't believe we're going to continue that behavior. I know for me personally, I, I will no longer accept that type of behavior. Uh, even if I don't call it out, I'm going to leave it. You, you know what I mean? Like that's cause I, cause, because one thing I've learned is that getting into an argument with these personalities, is extremely exhausting. Yeah, so I, I I just have learned the gift of goodbye, and I'm okay with that. That's why I wanted to know from the start how did you get to that point of good, goodbye. So now we'll work our way backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the red flags, and um, you know the hindsight, like looking at it in hindsight. Um, but you also said that he had like one career in the military in the navy um and then a career you know going into school for uh going to be a lawyer so it's interesting that those those are his career paths because a lot of times um we know that many are they 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 job hop or they employ hop or they're very um you know, they're very poor spenders. Um, They don't always have their life together and they envy a lot of people that do um, have, you know, kind of a little bit of stability in their life. So I wanna know if you experienced that um, in your relationship. (laughs) I couldn't even finish it.
1: I know, I know. It's like a trigger, yes. I gave up my career to put him through law school, but he kept getting fired from jobs and (laughs) there, you know, through court papers and everything. I actually had a laundry list. I think he had something like 10 or 12 job changes in two and a half years because ultimately he was disbarred as an attorney when he was married to the wife after me. Mm -hmm. He hung his own shingle he tried to go back to the law then he um went to work on a tugboat then he went to work on the jamestown ferry then he decided to go to pa school and and now he's a pa but you know he got fired from one of his jobs fairly soon after and told my son it's because they weren't paying anybody everything's a lie um i never knew where money was going it's funny he wanted me to use quicken to account for all of our money so when taxes came due it was easy but he would go to the train station and take out 20 bucks a day and could never account for it. Now, hi- hindsight, hindsight. Um, the woman who was supposed to be wife number four <laughs> validated what wife number three and myself experienced at a lower level, which was he was paying for prostitutes and porn and and all kinds of stuff, Yeah. Um, but he didn't have his own money for it. So he's always using everyone else's. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so you know, um, I hope those that are listening are will be paying attention to the signs because these are these are signs that are every person, male or female, that I talk to that have been in a relationship with this particular personality trait, we have all experienced something similar. Either they're extremely thrifty when it comes to shopping, but they want to look like they're paying big, 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 big money for things, or they have an addiction, or addiction of some sort or a few addictions. Um, they, you know, very poor at their own. I mean, it's just these, these, they it's, it's all connected. And it's always the same behavior, very risky, um, irresponsible behaviors. And then it's everyone else's fault that yep. things aren't working out. So all these things are connected, but if it fails, it's everyone else's fault.
1: Truly. Yeah. I mean, just as recently as he found out about the book, and immediately blamed my son for the book. And yet it's about him and how he treated and how I handled. And, and it's just, but it's always, you know, I've listened to your first two episodes this month with the ladies. yes, And I was like, oh my God, we're all dating or have dated the same person.
0: You know, it really is a pattern for all narcs. It's crazy. Yeah, it it is. It is. I mean, I, I think that therapists, and psychologists are studying this even more extensive right now, but there's something different about those of us that's experienced it. Like we have firsthand experience. You can, you know, I have a DSM five book or two or three around here and you can read the DSM five. You can look at the different studies, but it's like, they're still missing that human experience that we can share. And you're right. We're all, it's like, we're all talking about the same exact person. And I just simply say, it's because we all dated the same spirit and our bodies respond the same way. If we stayed with them for any period of time, um, some people see the bullshit coming a mile away and they just, they, they put the fire out immediately, but then there's others like us. We're like, Oh, well, we'll we'll give, we'll give it a chance. And we start looking, you know, like, Oh, we'll look past all these deficiencies because i'm not perfect no problem and then we wind up in these situations and it's hard to untangle ourselves (laughs) and come out you know sane
1: (laughs) and you know um he sold me a bill of goods and presented everything i thought i was looking for at the time and i say that because i realized in 1996 when i came across a journal that i wrote when i was working on cruise ships um my mother did a little bit of grooming with me of setting me up to husband hunt, essentially. Mm -hmm. So when I met him, and he figured out that I was a devout Catholic, that I wanted a family, he presented all that to me and on a silver platter, and I bought it hook, line and sinker. And, you know, over the years in therapy, I have beat myself up with how the heck did I fall for it, mm-hmm. marry it. Mm-hmm. When I had considered myself worldly, I had worked as an entertainer for five years. I mm-hmm. met people from all over the world. I moved out when I was 19. I thought I was so worldly, right. um, but my therapist had to say it repetitively to me and I finally got it. He said, this is not about you. This is who they are. They're That's so cool. good at what they do. They suck you in and they tell you, they do whatever they need to in that moment to serve their purpose. And his yeah. purpose was always to get the next woman to financially support him and suck her dry.
0: Yep. That's, that is it. It's, there's always a hidden agenda. And for me, for some, it's, it's the financial support, others, it's status, others, it's just feeding the ego of, I, you know, that's the candidate they said I couldn't have, but guess what? I'm going to go get it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, (laughs) there's always that, Um, you know, and they find really sharp individuals and they just suck the life out of them if they're able. And, you know, if it's allowed. So my next question to you then is how did you recover after that experience? I, I heard you mention therapy. Many had to go to therapy afterwards to kind of get our life back in order, because we know something's off. But um, how did you recover after this entire experience? Um, to include, I see that, you know, you wound up writing this book, ultimately.
1: You know, Queenie, it's, it's an ongoing recovery. Um, you know, you get to a point, like, th- I, I, I say in the book, originally, the t- I wanted the title to be um loving my child more than I hated my ex but I didn't want to use the word hate but the reality is I felt that at one point in time and I I think if we're all honest with ourselves at some point in time we feel hate for something or someone right and while I haven't and I don't think I'll ever get to a place of forgiveness I hate to say that but because he hurt my child Mm -hmm. but I feel nothing for him now and so how did I recover um, I, I did start going to therapy, but most of it was trying to deal with how to handle him and what he was doing to my son and how to navigate it. But I'm I'm still in therapy. I mean, it's sometimes I'll go a year and not see my therapist mm-hmm. and, and I need to check in for a tune-up um, because something will happen. And, and actually, you know, I've been seeing him a lot lately because of Things that I've realized about my own childhood mm-hmm. and my own upbringing mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> that kind of relates back to marrying somebody, right? Yeah. So um, it, it's 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 got to be therapy. It's got to be great friends who you can just dump on that don't necessarily know what to say, but you got to get it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and really, it was so much more for me about protecting my son. Yeah. And it was me. I all, I wanted to say, you do whatever you want to me. Don't touch my freaking child. Yeah, yeah. I want use an f bomb, but I, I totally
0: wanna... get it. <laughs> f bombs are safe. YouTube allows it.
1: <laughs> but seriously, it was always I was laser focused on protecting my kid, mm-hmm. and and it was always about that. But I still feel like it's an ongoing journey. But like you said. I I didn't know it then because we didn't have all the self-help shows. We didn't have the internet was so new kids have today to learn about this behavior, this personality, and to identify it that I didn't even know what it was called in the beginning. I just knew it was abusive. And now I feel like I could spot one a mile away. And I always tell my, it's like, Okay, I've had it so bad with the ex and I've got it so good with my current husband, and it's a journey, marriage is work. Yeah, that I say to him, God forbid anything ever happens to you. I'm so jaded, I'll probably never marry again. <laughs> you know, I might live and sit. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but but I feel like I could spot them a mile away now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know that that's that's funny you said that because I totally agree. I I agree now. I've I've pulled back from calling everyone a narc (laughs) because you know you kind of go through that phase like you're a narc you're a narc because then now you sound like a narc right so I've you know I've, I've pulled back from that um but I'm much like I you know I understand and and you're right you know after you've gone through it you you can and after you've gone through it and you accept that this is real. Like this is real. It's not that I'm making it up. It's not that I'm crazy. you know, because of course a lot of times they try to confuse Maybe you, crazy. you know, the crazy making starts, right. right. But no, this is real. And now you can kind of hold yourself, you know, in a still place and say, I see those tendencies over there and be okay with it, you know, um, because it, you know, it, it can be traumatizing for It's traumatizing. I don't want to say can be, it is traumatizing.
1: It generates a physical response when you are dealing with an encounter with a narcissist, when they're in that controlling position. Um, and, And I talk about it in the book. It literally generates for me, nausea in the pit of my stomach. I feel like I'm in a cold sweat. My heart is racing. And, and you, we talked about it. It's almost like the beginning of a panic attack. Absolutely, it is. Because I hate confrontation. Yeah. And, um, and so I will say this, though. I want your listeners to hear this. I think one of the most powerful things that I learned, and it took me many years. It took me, oh, my God, until my son was probably a teenager. My ex was walking out of my kitchen door into my garage to leave after picking mm-hmm. up. And I forget what he said to me but whatever it was, it was clear, it was designed to get a reaction out of me.
0: Oh, he tried to gaslight you. Yeah, and,
1: and I went, okay, yeah. and I gave him nothing. And I literally saw it in his face that that pissed him yeah. off. And I suddenly realized it was like this light bulb went off. I went, I'm in control now and he's not. Mm-hmm. And I realized from that point to do everything through email, to not talk to him as much as I could, because I was in a position of power that I wouldn't let him affect me anymore and mm-hmm. get a reaction.
0: Girl, I'll drink to that. <laughs> that was a big deal. Yeah, that's um, a huge deal. Um, I think that some people that, that go through this, they don't realize their power because they're so controlled by their emotion. And and I understand that, especially when you truly love someone or you truly are trying to make it work, that's you're leading with love. Um, yeah. But whenever you get over that and you begin to say, you know what? No, you start planning that exit strategy yeah. and you take control of your own emotions and don't allow them to have it, have you and to control you and gaslight you. It changes the dynamic. I mean, hum- I mean, just hugely like you're like, they, they will respond. They'll be angry about not being able to gaslight you and then they will be the victim. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) let's talk about that. Let's talk about how did you experience your ex becoming the victim? Oh, every time
1: for sure. (laughs) It's such a pattern. It's like the whole thing of with the argument over the sterling silver, yeah. you know, suddenly coming back to, well, that was just apologizing and trying to suck me back in. Yeah. But um, But yeah, over the years, he would turn things around and make it sound like I was doing things to hurt him when I was trying to protect my son. And and it's always about, you're doing this to me, it, of course, all the time. Um, but I will say this, and, and I know there are a lot of women that have trouble leaving because of what you've talked about many times, which is you love them or you loved them. And I, it, it was probably easier for me to leave. And I probably wouldn't have stayed the three and a half years that I did if we didn't have a child. As a matter right. of fact, sometimes when I watch Dr. Phil, I just want to bang my head because he says, you knew this about the person and you still chose to have a child with them. Well, but I... I had this picture of my future and it was marriage and family and stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I realized I never loved him. Mm -hmm. I was in love with the package he presented. Mm -hmm. That was all a lie. Mm -hmm. He, he used to tell me that he defined himself. There was an article in the paper by some famous football coach who said he defined his greatest success by the success of his family and his children and all this. Mm -hmm. And of course he said all that to me. And i suck i was such a sucker because yeah. i believed it, and it wasn't it was about oh i'm on a conference call and the the other attorneys are talking about having a tag hoyer watch so he had to go get a watch and it was all about impressions and oh now i have to learn how to drink scotch which i hate but everybody's drinking at these functions and it was all about um a facade yeah I'm just a liar about everything yeah. to this day
0: all, always changing masks Yes. And then when the mask is off, they're at home, miserable, and you can barely get a decent word out of them.
1: And that's why, you know, when he got angry with my son about the book and and my son said, I just don't want to be in the middle of you guys anymore. my parents have always hated each other. I went, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. I did it one time, but I actually don't feel anything for him because my life is so rich and full. And my son and I finally have a relationship. And I look at him, you talked about, they can't keep friends. Yes. They're loners. As a matter of fact, my son was his only friend for many years until my son broke free because he was the only person he could control. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he doesn't, he doesn't have anybody. He can't keep a job. He's miserable. So I feel nothing for him because why waste the energy?
0: Yeah. 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 Good for you. Um, and I hope the listeners realize that this, you know, because because so many women, and I'll just say women in particularly, they'll ask like, well, is he really happy with that other person? Or listen, he is as happy with that other person as he was with you. That same cycle that he went through is, yeah, he's passing it on to the next person and the next person and the next person. And just like you, she's feeling like, this is like the best thing that happened to me. He's, Super perfect, and then it's all gonna come crashing down because this is the pattern, and they cannot hold on to relationships, not meaningful relationships. They pretend and they look like it's normal and it's great, but then when you kind of unearth it, you realize this is this is a mess.
1: Oh no, it's just what can I get out of it for me? And for him, it's always the money, the travel, the trips. And so there wasn't any, or they figured him out and then he went on to the next one. And, and usually, and this is the other thing that bothered me psychologically with how did I let this happen is they usually target insecure people. Mm -hmm. And, and I got to tell you, I've always been very confident, very secure. So that was the other thing of how did I fall for that? How Mm -hmm. did I just, and of course, Queenie, he lied to me in the first the first day I met him and that was one big red flag and it was important to me to ask certain questions up front so I said have you ever been married before do you have children nope nope and then probably on the third date he said I gotta be honest with you I lied to you about being married before and I went what wow and and hello I should have walked away did
0: he become but did he become a victim when he told you the story
1: yeah yeah he said he goes I knew how important your faith was to yeah. you, and I didn't want you to prejudge me. Oh, but you yeah. know I wish I knew what angela angela oh my God, Hi, my angela my angela <laughs> I quote her in my book, but I wish I knew then what she said since then, which is
0: when people show you who they are believe Girl. and what you said is these people try to attack those that are vulnerable, insecure, or something. It, it, there's always that or something. So I think you and I, we were the or something, right? Yeah. You were the candy that was forbidden. You were the candy that probably people would have never, just n- truly knowing him with his mask off, would have said, there's no way in hell you're going to be able to get with Regina, right? Which is likely what my- ex- A challenge. Yeah, ex- You observe your ex, in situations like at restaurants. And oh. so, so again, it's just observing. You wanna know if it matters to you. It matters to me your people skills. Yeah, It matters to me how you show up at the family function. It matters to me if you have children, whether they're babies or adults and you're actively involved in their life and those children want to be with you, right? It matters to me if you have strong friendships and healthy relationships in your life because I'm coming from that. I have great friends. So, so you have to look at that, you know what I mean? Um, And that's the, so I, I love Maya's quote, but I think after you've lived long enough, you realize that even that sometimes
1: (laughs) you just have to have your guard up. And, you know, some of the things that other people told me after the fact, um, I, when you say, you know, vulnerable, insecure or something, and we are the, or something else. Yes. (laughs) So what people said to me later on was because I was a performer Mm. Um, he was attracted to that. And that they saw the way he treated me before my son was born as um his trophy, his trophy. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Yes. My son was born. Actually, once I was pregnant, I mean, I was out of the picture, man. He had nothing to do with me, didn't touch me, wow. didn't engage with me. And my son was born, and there was his trophy. And of course, I was the strict parent. I was the parent who taught him to say, yes, sir, no, ma'am, whatever. And then he used my son to attract women because he was such a well-behaved little man. Yeah. Um, And so
0: he used him, you know, he still was, but. Wow. Wow. So, so let me ask you something Um, whenever, so before baby came, um, because I think, I think your son is an adult now. Correct? Yeah, yeah it'll be 25 in 2 weeks oh girl yes <laughs> wonderful you i mean it's just it's good to see life after i love it i love it but um so before baby um did you feel that you had to compete or you had to choose your career your friend circle your support circle did you have did you have any conflict with that relationship and ha- and trying to maintain the things that you already had going on in your life
1: So in our engagement, we we made a decision that I would give up my performance career, my dreams of Broadway to put him through law school. Because again, that was something my mother groomed me for, to believe that that's what I wanted. Um, And I I always wanted a family. I just think I, I went for it too soon that I still had a lot more performing to do. So we did that decision together, And then he was going to law school in Delaware. So we were already moving away from family and friends. And because I was a performer and I did cruise ships for five years, a lot of my friends were kind of transit, you know, other places, Mm -hmm. childhood friends. I ended up reconnecting with once I moved back here when my son was seven and and I reestablished those relationships. But I, I didn't necessarily feel like he kept me from friends. But what he did when we were in social situations um, like if we hosted a party or something, um, he would uh, act like he was just, you know, the king and he didn't do anything to help. It was his party. He had his court of people that he, it was all about him. He had to be the center of attention.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I will tell you that he got physical with me only once. Mm-hmm. Um, it was two hours before we were going to have our first party as husband and wife six months into our marriage, New Year's day, my boss and his family were coming from Pennsylvania an hour away, bunch, 20 people were coming. I don't remember what we were arguing about, but I was trying to get away from him and he kept physically blocking me and he was significantly taller than me and I couldn't get around him. And so he finally grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me and brought his fist up to hit me. And I blocked it and I pushed him away and I grabbed my keys and ran out the door and I drove down the street going, oh my God, who or what have I married? Wow. Scared the living daylights out of me. And um, I had to go back. to. And of course he did what his behavior as a narcissist is, the control thing, repeat calling, repeat calling, repeat calling. Even when we were divorced, <laughs> I was working in the corporate world. He wanted me to pick up that damn phone and he would call, 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 you know? Um, But I came back and and I put him on notice and I said, you ever lay an effing hand on me again, I'm walking out the door and never coming back. So instead, it was the verbal abuse. It was the fights. It was if I tried to get away from him and locked myself in the bedroom, he broke the door jam to get in. He put his fist through the wall. It was other things. Um, I learned when he did finally agree to go to counseling, I learned that me wanting to walk away and calm down and have a civil conversation pissed him off. He wanted the conflict. He wanted the confrontation. He wanted to, you know, usually women want to resolve it right now. Yeah. yeah. I was like, no, let me go breathe. And and that pissed him off. Cause he yeah. wanted that fight and always and to this day, he
0: still wants that fight. Yeah. <clears throat> you know it's, um, it, it's, it's funny that you say that because like, even when you, sometimes I think we want to put a pause in the argument because we know that no matter what we're going to say it's going to only escalate like escalate. and and yep. with this, with this particular personality it's triple what it would be with any normal you know function person that's just upset and you and you're just having a disagreement it like triple it goes into something else and you're like wait I and then and then you're confused and you cannot think and nothing that you say is right and it just becomes. And you feel that physical feeling of,
1: oh my God, I'm in this again. Like every time it just generates that physical response that you just want to throw up. Yeah. I did. I did.
0: Yeah, no, 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 to. I had, to re- I had um, the horrible anxiety. And in some of my interviews, uh, the ladies talk about the, the anxiety that you're talking about. And then of course yeah. um, the PTSD and so on and so forth. And to your um, celebration, were, did you experience any other, um, like, I, I mean, I like to call them little pitfalls, but did you experience any other challenges linked to holiday celebrations, big event days, or anything like that? Like birthdays, um, holidays, family functions, any of the, was there any connection to his behavior and those type of events?
1: Yeah. I mean, they put on their best behavior in front of everyone else. Yeah. And um, you know the joke in my family was that my mother, when we would have family functions with my family, that my mother, um, which is interesting because I've since identified this year that she is a narcissist, mm-hmm. but she was more um, concerned about making dishes that he liked at family functions than my own brothers or or any of us. It was like she was trying to please him. Mm-hmm. He was sucking it all up. But but in the social functions he put on the persona of charming you know charismatic has all these stories to tell (laughs) laughing (laughs) I mean and here's the crazy thing is in the end when we were it was all actually it was afterwards I remember him saying oh you're such the actress Virginia you can just turn on the tears when the reality was that's what he was always doing for me I happened to be made by God to be very sensitive and be very emotional so when the tears come they are like genuine yeah um, but he would try to accuse me the gaslighting thing you're such an actress you're so full of it you know and, and yet he was
0: right. the one who brought me there mm-hmm. yeah. it can't always be about you Regina I no. heard that when I was dating I am like what yeah and you know the other
1: thing that was interesting was we got married and yes he was in law school but here we were newlyweds who for the previous year only saw each other twice a month mm-hmm. and there was constant rejection. Any advance I would make to him, I mean, literally he'd be, okay, he was working, doing homework or whatever. And I'd come around behind him and put my arms around him to try and, you know, just to be loving. Yeah. And it was as if I was not in the room.
0: Yeah. Sucked. Yeah. It, it's
1: Amazing we got pregnant, but it was definitely a planned thing right. because I finally... I actually, before this podcast, I thought, my God, you know, you talk about blocking things out and, and so many of my memories are more relative to my son and dealing with all that, navigating that, that I literally went back and read the seven page narrative that's in my fire safe box that I submitted when I, five years after our divorce went for an annulment with the church. And I read it yesterday and, um, it was just constant rejection, um, you know, I did go to him at one point and I said, we will never have a child if we don't have intercourse. Mm. So it became a scheduled, is this a good time? It wasn't even, I mean, I don't want my son to think that he wasn't conceived in love because I absolutely loved and wanted him desperately. Um, But yeah, the rejection really messes with your head because you go, what's wrong with me? Right, exactly. Oh, and he said to me, (laughs) I forgot. I, I remember this the other day. He said to me during our engagement, I really
0: hope that you never like gain a lot of weight, when- girl. It, it's um, and again, like like we're both saying, we're very confident people. But it doesn't matter about your confidence when you're with a person. I mean, you you want to be beautiful for them as well. You know, you want them to find you attractive because likewise, you want to find them. You know, we kind of look over a lot of stuff, but you know, you want to feel that they're um, interested in you and attracted to you and of course natural in, in a relationship naturally you know sexual attraction is very important
1: right. and
0: when they hit you with something about your weight when they've you know you're looking at thinking like what. <laughs> time when he said it to me I mean I was a singer dancer
1: I was thin I was in great shape but he planted that seed and you know when I got pregnant I gained 70 pounds yeah um but you know kind of triggering it back to when we talk about relating things back to childhood abuse and things um even now as an adult even as recently as you know a couple years ago um I was singing 100 funerals a year for three and a half years at my church it was a something I felt called to do, mm-hmm. but um, my mother goes to morning mass every day at the same church, and so um, it, it's like my sister said to her, you're a glass half empty, because she would pay you a compliment with a backhanded insult, backhand insult, wow. and you know, oh, that your hair, I love what you're wearing today, you really should dress like that more often, mm. or why does your hair look greasy, and it wasn't, it was so hot in church that I would slick my hair back in a French twist while it was wet, yeah, and do this look, yeah. and I th- and, and uh, to me, I looked not really nice. It was a French twist. It was earrings. And, and and it was always something to, and yet that's what he did to me. It was always a way to find it, way to
0: insult, yep. Yep. To make you yeah. feel secure. Yeah. And then try to say, oh, no, that's not what I meant by it. But of course it was. You've already planned. It's like when you're in the courtroom and they say,
1: the jury will disregard that remark. You cannot unring that bell. <laughs> right.
0: You guys, know. um, I went through that and I know that some some of those that are listening, they're probably dealing with this right now. And you know, you know, you you, you find yourself if you try to stay, you find yourself constantly trying to fix these things, you yeah. know. And unfortunately, you can't fix it. Um the goal line is constantly being moved, it's always being shifted downfield and you're never gonna fix that. And even when you think you've caught up with it. Because they have the power in a relationship, they're going to move it again at some point. As soon as they, as soon as it looks like you're becoming comfortable, and that's the unfortunate truth. Yeah, but it's the truth. It sure is. All right, let's move on. This is so good. I love. I don't want to say I love talking about this. I think I love dissecting it more, um, so that others can learn and grow from it and possibly leave these toxic situations because. you know I've met people during these interviews I have met people that have been in these relationships for 25 years and I can't imagine Regina what life would be like with a person that is just this way like I so my heart goes out to the individuals that I've spoken with the ladies um, that I've spoken with and and that's why I enjoy having these conversations and kind of dissecting it because At some point, I believe we all have that break where we're like, I'm out. It clicks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and, and you find more value and worth in yourself than the, um, the uncontrollable unknowing fear that you feel if you leave and disconnect. From that person because also i think after you've been abused for so long you know the body the the, the biological and the, you know the psychological clock all these things are all off balance everything is just off and you become used to the trauma you become used to the toxicity you become used to the highs and the lows and, and that's very unfortunate because when you try to leave it your body is so used to that it it, and I don't want to, I want to be careful because I know a therapist, a psychologist can correct me and I'm I'm always welcome this, but I'm just speaking firsthand experience. Um, but your body begins to start craving it back because you've become so used to it. And what I'm trying to do is to just kind of insert a little bit of information in between these breaks that people are having. And so hopefully something that we say or share will kind of be that catalyst for them to say, the hell with this, I'm gone. If they did it, I can do it.
1: And what you just described what it is is it becomes their new normal. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that that new normal is good or healthy or okay and and you have to think about and and I think it's awesome that you do this because all it takes is that that one conversation somewhere along the way to help somebody to get out but that new normal isn't necessarily good for you and how do you get back to the normal that's healthy and and brings you joy and and you know it's funny um my dental hygienist said to me the other day when I was talking to her about some of the information that's in the book, mm-hmm. and she goes, oh my God, I never would have known. You're always so happy and upbeat and positive. And I went, because that's who I am. I choose to be that way. I choose to see the joy in life. The dark stuff, for the most part, is behind me,
0: yeah.
1: and um, I'm not going to live that every day.
0: I want better for myself. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, that is who we are. That that's who you are. So that that's going to always bubble up and show up. Yeah. It's just in that, in that time. No, I when I was in that, no man. Oh, I mean, your, your light grows
1: dim. Yeah. It was a black cloud over yeah. my and my son's life. I feel like I missed out on so much joy of his life because this black cloud that I was dealing with, where I felt like I was doing battle with Satan himself mm-hmm. on a daily basis mm-hmm was ever present
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though my faith you know has always been the underlying support system for me it's like and sometimes that oh anyway
0: yeah it's like they're the double spawn yeah. <laughs> true story yeah. <laughs> so so you know the, the difference is like you know you had your son and he was a huge motivating factor for you to leave this situation now two things. How did you get a plan together to exit? Like, how'd you get a plan? And two, how was it co-parenting with this particular personality? Because I think you left when your son was young, very young.
1: Yeah. And believe it or not, I didn't leave. I kicked him out. Got it. Okay. Um, we had bought the house when he was still in law school and I was the one working. So technically it was, you know, even though it was, there was in both names as was the loan, it was you know, through my job that we got the house. Although at the time that I kicked him out, I wasn't working full-time because I was stay-at-home mom. Um, But I essentially just put the gauntlet down and said, I'm done. He started sleeping in the other bedroom for about six months because in Delaware, that's all you needed to get the actual divorce rolling. Mm -hmm. Um, But the interesting thing is that two weeks after our divorce was final, when the man said family and my son is everything to me, Two weeks after, at the time, he was making $80,000 a year at a law firm right there in Delaware. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, he turned around and moved back to New York to make six figures because money was always more important to him. Of course, he never kept any of those jobs. You know, he couldn't keep a job. But I, you know, I, I look back and I go, why didn't I right then and there say, you left, I'm moving back to Virginia. But there was still that part of me, despite what he had done to me, that I didn't want to be the person to take my son further away yes. from dad. And, you know, was that the right thing to do? It, it is what it is. And it's how our life played out. Um, and, you know, but finally when he was almost seven, I did move back to Virginia, but my ex moved back to Virginia as well. So. Oh, you know. oh okay. He moved back before I did. And he's not even from here. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Oh, the things that they do, you know, all right. So for our
1: son's sake, he did it for his own purpose, but anyway. Of
0: course, it's yeah. hugely for yeah. his own purpose. You know, I I just don't put anything past them. I, you know, I laugh about it now because uh, it's like, well. Oh,
1: you had a second half to that question, co-parenting, um, non-existent. Um, we went to co-parenting counseling with a therapist who, um, and that was here in Virginia, when my son was six and a half, seven, we started that um, and it, it, he worked with us for two years. He's a forensic psychologist. Um, he got to a point, the psychologist, because my ex wouldn't show up and when he did, he wouldn't listen and you know the whole narcissistic behavior, that he's the only patient that forensic psychologist has ever fired and he said he would never be in a room with him alone again because of his violent outbursts, yes, and He said that in his entire career, he is the worst sociopath and narcissist he's ever met.
0: Absolutely, wow.
1: Co-parenting didn't exist. It was always battling, and for him, it was always about winning. He had—he never did anything geared towards the love for his child. It was always about winning and attacking me because that's what they want. They want the control, and—and my son was controllable by him you know, called him his best friend. I always cringe when I hear on TV shows and things where parents say to a child, you're my best friend. They're little. No, you can be. And I, and I remember saying to my son at one point, look, I am not your friend. I'm your parent and your mother. One day we'll be friends. That's right. You're right now, but right now I'm your parent. You're not my best friend. It's too much responsibility for a child when a parent does that.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is huge. So, um, I know you said that you're married again and, um, so not to put hubby on the spot, but girl talk, um, <laughs> I know you're able to find love again. So what advice would you give to someone else, you know, feeling unworthy of relational love, you know, after being emotionally abused or even experiencing, um, love with, uh, a narcissist?
1: Um, you know, I was single for seven years from the time of the divorce to remarrying Rob, and um, you can't force yourself to come to that place, but there was a point, and I had a, um, two or three long-term relationships in the seven years, um, but they weren't the right, they weren't the one, they weren't <laughs> the right one for many reasons, but Suddenly, when I knew I was moving back to Virginia, I didn't want to date anybody for a year because I didn't want anything stopping me from my mission for to move my son back to where family is. And and somewhere along the way, I I don't even know the moment, but I got to this place because like I said, growing up, I I went from one relationship to the next long term, but one to the next. I suddenly said, I looked in the mirror and I liked who I was. Yeah, yeah. And, and I went, God, I don't need to be with someone if it's unhealthy or it's not bringing me joy or they don't love my child um, the way I do. And, and literally, and that's why I said what I said to Rob when I met him, I don't need a man. It wasn't the whole, oh, you completely right, right. It was, no, you've got to bring it to the table as much as I bring it to the table. And I have always prayed for my son that he will meet and if he chooses to get married, Someone who loves him as much as he loves them and deserves him, and likewise. That it's 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 an equal thing. And when it becomes out of balance, you know, but I, I can't explain it, Queenie. I just got to the place where I knew I was worthy and I was a good person, and I didn't want anybody to try and change me. The behavior that my ex-husband brought out in me was behavior responses to his triggers and his okay. comfort. I had not, okay, I met him when I was 25. I got married at 27, had Joseph at 29. So from the age of 19 to 25, when I moved out of my parents' house and worked on ships and worked at Opryland and got married at 25, I had n- the only other time anybody ever pulled that response out of me where I would fight back and I would yell and scream back mm-hmm. was my mother. Mm -hmm. growing up. So for all those years, it was dormant. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I'm behaving in a way that I did as a teenager and a young adult. And I was like, what is wrong with me? This is not who I want to be because that period in between was the happiest times of my life up until, you know, later. And so you go, I got to get back to that place. And I got to get back to who I am Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because the yelling and the fighting is not who I am, but you feel like you have got to, um, I hate to say it, but fight back. And especially yeah. when child's in the mix, it's like they can't fight back. You gotta do it for them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so I just got to a place, it just happened naturally. I don't know if it was through my faith or whatever. It was just a day
0: mm-hmm. where
1: I kind of had this epiphany of
0: I like who I am and I am worthy. Good for you. I mean, that is I, I my wish is that many women um and men alike that are, you know, dealing with this that they find themselves in that space of, you know what, I'm worthy. I like who I am now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy enough to be in another relationship, you know, a healthy relationship. And I think that's the key. It's like really identifying what's healthy, knowing what it looks like and finding someone that they can totally see that same vision with you because, you know, and that's
1: the reason for the title of the book is at the end of the day, When you make the decision to become a parent, it is an unwritten contract and so much comes with it. And it always has to be that they're first. And, you know, it's why I didn't go back to my performance career when the marriage was over because my son needed me present. And in the entertainment world, you don't know where your next job is. You don't know where it's going to take you and he needed stability. And so that's why the title of I loved you more. It's not that I don't love him any more now because it's, past right. tense, but it was back then. I loved you more to keep you safe. And to get you out of it didn't matter what I wanted it didn't matter what I was afraid of it mattered that I had to do what I had to do to protect you because he wasn't going to do it.
0: Absolutely, good for so, you. Good for you. I tell you, honey, I, I I love what you did for yourself and your son. So tell me, um, how did this book come about? Because now that I've built this timeline, we have a book. So this, yeah. this book didn't just drop, like, you know, a year after you got out of this, we're talking many years later. Yeah. You know, how, it, how did you birth this baby?
1: <laughs> the baby was birthed because of a fellow employee when I worked at MBNA in Delaware mm-hmm. and I went to great lengths to find him about six or eight months ago because I needed him to know how a small conversation he had with me one day in my cubicle changed my life forever and is the reason why there is a book right now to be honest I mean I did the work he just said one thing to me but essentially he was talking to me one day I was telling him I was going through a divorce and um and I told him something my ex did and all he said was well he said something first he said yeah my parents divorced when I was one and a half cuz my son was one and a half uh-huh. he said and my dad was always the fun parent did this did that but my mom was my rock and I remember making a conscious decision I want my son to, oh, it's going to make me cry. I want my son to think that about me one day. And then when I told him something my ex did, he said, you know, you might want to write that down. Just saying, you know, and that was all he said. And I started journaling and I did it for the purpose of court. And when I say I journaled everything, I journaled everything from every missed child support payment to every missed visitation to every shitty thing that he said to me you know, over the phone or in person or every scene that he created in front of my son, I documented it all. And our court system is so screwed up that they wouldn't look at anything. Mm -hmm. I even made a separate, I mean, I would walk in court with these file folders that were, you know, this high, one was my copy, one was the court copy, Mm -hmm. and they would never take it. And um, a guardian ad litem is an attorney for the child. And, um, my ex actually asked for a guardian Ed litem because he thought as an attorney at the time, he could manipulate him and control him. And when the guardian Ed litem made it clear that he didn't care about me, he didn't care about my ex. He only cared about Joseph. Yeah. I said to him, he's actually one of the beta test readers for my book. And I said to him one day, I said, do you remember me coming into court with those huge file folders? He goes, yeah. And I went, those are my journals. That's what this book is coming from now. And so When I knew the courts weren't going to look at it, I often questioned, why am I still putting myself through this? Why am I journaling? And it's because I never told my son what his dad did to me, to him. I never spoke bad about him. As a matter of fact, I just recently told my therapist that one of the things I always felt like I had to reprogram Joseph from all the grooming he was getting over here against me and my family. I had to feed in different information. So one of the things I would always say to him before he went to bed was, sweetie, I love you. Your daddy loves you, and you just need to feel free to love us both. And my therapist goes, "Whoa, that's really good. I might have to use that." And I went, but that's what I said to him. I didn't want him burdened with what he was getting from his dad. Your mom's this, and he was bad mouthing me all the time. So um, I journal. I continued to journal because one day I wanted him, and I, I hid them in the attic. He never knew they existed until six months ago. And, um, I even had in my will when my sister was still alive, she had instructions because the other thing I did was I wrote my son a letter every year on his birthday and sealed it, never went back into it again. Um, I was going to give them to him for his 25th birthday, but, um, it became clear that there might be some good information in there for the book. (laughs) I gave them to him before he went on a cross country in his motorcycle recently. So he could read them. But, um, so, so that's what happened. And about four years ago, I was driving down the road. And I've had a few instances in my life, um, God doesn't speak to me in audible voices, but just where you have this overwhelming feeling that God wants you to do something. And this was the fourth time in my adult life where I was driving down the road and I felt this very strong feeling that I was supposed to write this book to help other people Mm -hmm. on the journey, put their child first, love their child more than they hate their ex, don't put them in the middle. And I just didn't know how it was gonna happen. So I started writing it um, two years later, it took me a while to start. Um, and I thought it was 50 pages in, but when you put it down to the size of a book, it was actually 90 pages in and a lot of crying um, because I was reliving everything I survived. Um, I, I actually turned it over to a ghost writer in January and we're doing it together. Um, but I, I feel strongly to do this to help others. I didn't know it when I started it two and a half years ago um, that there's nothing like it on the market like there's tons of books about narcissism and relationships but they're all written by professionals and um, as a matter of fact one of my beta test readers is an, a published author who wrote the book disarming the narcissist oh. I not know her
0: yeah
1: Wendy and um, she's also a professional but I reached out to her and said would you consider being a beta test reader and she goes I would feel privileged and so okay. I'm very excited about that um, I guardian of items. I have attorneys. I have, um, well, guardian lines are attorneys. I have psychologists, um, that are all going to get feedback before it's released to the public, but, um, I just, oh, I just want to help other people know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. My attorney said something to me for years. He would say to me, because I was just so crushed when my son went to live with his dad and it was so hard on the journey. It was really hard. Um, where you feel like you don't have a relationship with your child, where you look in their eyes and there were times I didn't even know who my son was because he was so programmed on the other side. My husband now will tell you it just, sometimes I would look in his eyes and it was like this void because he was so conflicted. And my attorney would always say to me, Regina, your relationship with your son after eighteen is so much longer than before eighteen. Have faith in what you're doing. Have faith in the, in the how you're raising him and the boundaries and the, you know, the everything that you're trying to teach him. It he will come back to it. He knows it. It's in there. And I tell you, he was right because I know that I have a lifetime with Joseph now. And he had his epiphany when he was 21, which was years before it should have
0: happened. But oh, goodness. And you know, our, our babies are, are everything. Yeah. And those relationships, they mean more than anything to us oftentimes. Yeah. So I get, I get, I can understand the turmoil that you probably will feel. And then also, you know, the truth of the matter is you, you don't want this person, although it's his father to be the chief influence because you know, firsthand what that could ultimately look like.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and that's scary. That's just very, very scary. And you don't want, you don't, we don't want our children broken.
1: No. And I have to say that his guardian ad litem, I was told when he was assigned, there are good ones and bad ones. There are some that take it seriously and some don't. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed. Um, his guardian ad litem ended up being the president of the Virginia Bar last year. And he, was so committed to my son. I tell him all the time, you saved his life. I mean, as a matter of fact, I was in town center with my mom for lunch last summer, not this past summer, summer of 2019, and we ran into him with some other attorneys and I went, mom, this is, I'm gonna say his name. This is Richard Garriott. He's the one who saved Joseph's life because the man got on, he went into the courtroom when my son was 14 and said, the boy is articulate. He has been saying he wants to live with his dad I'm going to let him live with his dad unless something really bad comes up. Because for years, my ex, the judge would slap him on the hand for things that he did and give him one more day. And he was 50-50. And so we went into court that day. I was just crushed because I knew I was going to lose my kid at 14 when he still was so impressionable. And at 11.45 p.m., that attorney got on the guardian ad litem, after all the evidence and all the people who testified, finally people were stepping forward to testify. Mm-hmm. And he got on the stand and he said, I will never forget his words, your honor, I'm about to do something I've never done in my career, and that is betray my client, because I promised Joseph he could go live with his dad, and I cannot in good conscience allow that to happen. Wow. And he went from his suggestions to the judge took it further. And she, lit- I mean, he was stripped of his rights. He got every other weekend, no midweek, uh, one phone call, one text message a day. Of course, he violated all of that. But, um, but it was the fact that finally, after years and years of going in front of the same judge who favored fathers, she was a woman, uh, <clears throat> uh, she finally did what was right. Mm-hmm. And then it was literally from the next day, my son started to heal because what my therapist said is, and this goes for us in the relationship, just like children, Mm -hmm. until you remove the poison, you cannot begin to heal. Absolutely. And when he was finally removed from so much contact with my son, that's when Joseph started to heal. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So,
0: so as single people without children, what we call that is no contact. There is a no contact rule that yeah. we have to follow in order to heal. And sometimes we have to break, we'll break it from, circumstantially. There's something w- will come up. But in order for you to heal, that yep. no contact, I mean, you have to put real distance. Close the door. And yep. the abuser, yeah. If you so,
1: still have one foot in the door, you are it's not going to happen for you. You have got to make a clean break. Yes,
0: clean break, yes. You yeah. have to put all that b- behind you. You know, put things in the proper place. Place, you know, um, saving yourself and your sanity is far more important than having one conversation with these people. And so, choosing no contact is the best way to thrive. <laughs> so, I'm glad. For you know, that- years with no contact with him, once you know Joseph was
1: older, and I right. we've had no need to communicate. And you have to remember that he turned Joseph against not just me, but my entire family. Um, that. It was probably two years after my father passed away that my son said to me one day, I really wish I got to know grandpa better because what he saw at his funeral was 600 people at my dad's funeral and the night before three hour visitation was nonstop packed for three hours. My dad touched so many lives and my son was robbed of that relationship because of his dad. And so what was interesting was I had no contact with my ex for years. And he sends me a text message earlier this year before the book went out for pre-sales. So we uh-huh. knew about the book. And he goes, hey, Reg- hey Regina, I just wanted to reach out. And I, actually, I was like, who is this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm working for an Italian doctor and I was playing recordings of you and your dad singing for him. And it still brings genuine tears to my eyes. Oh, your oh, gift oh. brought back fond memories of your dad. I didn't even respond. I wanted to jump through the phone and say, you you never cared about my dad you don't care about my you just want to show me off again so I didn't respond I gave him that I'm in power I'm not going to respond to you good
0: for you let me let me say it that way
1: well it's not left but they don't have the uh, they don't have the capacity for empathy compassion mm-hmm. they they are like void yeah and that. they
0: pretend and you can see once you when you know what real empathy looks and feels like you can see and feel when a person is pretending to have that. Um, so going back just a little bit, but I know we're going to move on to close out, but just going back a little bit, when we were talking about that rejection and the intimacy and like, hey, we're never going to have a baby, you know, um, yeah. during the love bomb phase. So I want the listeners to hear this because during the love bomb phase, this lovemaking or sex or whatever can seem to be like amazing. But mm-hmm. as soon as that and come in, the true person shows up and that disconnect is there. And it's really hard for you to ever get back that love bomb affection ever, that intimacy. What does the real sexual intimacy feel like? And the real kisses feel like, you know, and their behavior ends up escalating
1: because in the beginning with me, when we were married and the internet was still somewhat new, it would be that where it was Believable that you clicked on something and something else popped up you didn't expect. So yeah. I walked in on him one day and there were those porn on the screen. Oh yeah, of course. And I freaked out. And he goes, "How did I didn't make you? How did I didn't make you? I didn't click." Well, you know, I, I never saw that happen again. But like I said, wife number—I was number two. Wife number three. I had to think for a second because there's so many. um You know, found. T- printouts of prostitutes and then number four they were phone numbers where their phones got synced and she found all these prostitutes in her address book from him and it's just it it escalates the yeah. behavior escalates um but it doesn't it doesn't change it just gets worse it's still there it's still so we,
0: there yeah okay so w- the book tell me when where where can we find it um is it released already is it going to be released in the future how can the listeners find it
1: so, the book is currently on pre sales right now um, on Barnes and Noble, but where you can find it um, for uh, to pre order it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, is on my website, which is I loved you more.com. So, it's past tense I L O V E D, you mm-hmm. more. I loved you more.com. Um, and uh, the release date is April 6th. Here's the irony in that release date. My ghost writer and I were trying to find a time, and Tuesday is the best day of the week to release a book. And we had hoped to do it by the end of this year, but we needed more time. And I said to him one day, "We need to talk about that date because I think it's Holy Week. And as a singer in church, we call that Holy Hell Week. And that's not a good time to release a book." <laughs> it turned out when we looked at the calendar, I went, "Oh my gosh, it's Easter Tuesday, two days after Easter." And I said, Rodney, you don't know this, but the first day I wrote the first word was Tuesday after Easter at my friend's beach house. I had given up alcohol for Lent. I bought myself this Surface book to um, incent me to write the book. Mm -hmm. I had a Cosmo. I was buzzed beyond belief because I hadn't had alcohol for 40 days. (laughs) And I wrote the prologue on that tuesday which i think was april 3rd or whatever anyway so the release date of the book is exactly three years to the day that i started
0: it. oh my god everything happens for a reason honey it's all connected and the exciting thing is before i met rodney when
1: i I, it's been a year july so july of 2019 i started reaching out to the dr phil show whoa it suddenly got dark in here um i started reaching out to the dr phil show Mm -hmm. because i needed help finding a ghost writer But then um, what happened was um, I found Rodney and then it was, I want Dr. Phil to write the forward. So I've been on a mission, emailing the show, emailing the show. And about three weeks ago, one of his producers reached out to me and said, if you're receiving this, we have reviewed your story. Please submit this information. So I've been sending them documents. Um, So, but he has to read the book first to decide if he wants to write the forward. And I will be sending that to he and Robin in a beautiful gift package of a relaxation package with robes and toiletries and
0: Absolutely. Good <laughs> Um I love that.
1: Yeah. And I just,
0: um, I hope he chooses to write the forward. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. Well, good luck, girl. Good luck with that. This has been wonderful, like just talking to you. And and again, I can talk about this topic all day. Um, and I, I think one of the reasons, and, and I'll ask you how you feel about this. One of the reasons why I can talk about it now and not be triggered and not affected by it is because I've truly done the work to heal. And because on my exit, I knew that I needed to be gone. I, I knew that I did not want to be in this anymore. And I, and I understood what um, healthy was versus toxic. So how do you feel now when you talk about it? Um, I know in the beginning, it might've been pretty sad and heavy. So do you feel that now when you talk about this and your experience? So, When I talk
1: about, it's hard because when I was writing the book myself, 54-year-old me or 53-year-old me last year was writing about, you know, something that happened when I was 34. And when you know better, you do better. And with age comes experience and knowledge. And I was criticizing myself for how I handled certain things, even though in that moment I did my best to protect my child. So... um, uh, What's hard to talk about now is that what we haven't really touched on, and maybe it's a topic for another day, but you and I have talked about that. We had narcissistic parents, Mm -hmm. abuse as children, Mm -hmm. and so now what it's doing is the book has opened a Pandora's box to my childhood abuse, and so now I'm dealing with all of that, Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as him, it's it's okay to talk about it because I have a relationship with my son that I didn't have for so many years. Yeah. like, okay to talk about it because I know at the end of the day, he knows that I did everything because I loved him. And I just want to say to your listeners, you know, do what's right for you. If you don't have children, get yourself out because protect yourself. You deserve better. You are worthy. If you have a child, if you have to make it about them, if that's what propels you to have the strength to get out, Mm -hmm. but get out because they deserve it. You need to love them more than you love or hate your ex
0: god i love that i love that regina all right so listen before you go Uh i i have have my three questions and um kind of on a hot seat but you know it's real talk you know um so i'll ask you the question you give me the (laughs) look no pressure you give me the answer um first thing that comes to mind okay all right perfect describe when you feel most alive Oh, when I'm on stage, love it, and, and and just performing, it's thrilling. Love it. Okay, what do you love about what you now do?
1: Um, so much of what I do with my singing is to
0: serve others.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's gonna get me. See, I told you, I cry very easily. Okay, um, that's
0: what these questions are for.
1: <laughs> so, so it's not the performing part of it. It's when I sing in church or with this book. It, it truly fulfills me to know that it is bringing some sense of healing. Like music is healing. When I was singing 100 funerals a year, it's a healing ministry. I did have to back away from it because it was affecting me emotionally too much because I was so emotionally invested. It wasn't a job and a paycheck. It was personal. But, um, but when I feel like I have the ability to touch someone else's life, that is just, it, it brings me joy. It's, it's fulfilling and it's so gratifying.
0: Okay. Last question. What is something you would never give up?
1: Something I would never give up. Um, Wow. Um, That's a tough one. Something I would would never give up. I will never give up my self-worth for another human being ever again. Girl, that is big. That was a hard one.
0: But that's a powerful that. answer.
1: Yeah, I, I will, will sacrifice myself for anyone else again.
0: Yeah. Mm. Because I gave my
1: whole career for him. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And that's not a selfish answer. That's that's just not
0: a selfish answer. Protection. Yes. And you know what? That's the thing. I think a lot of times we feel that we're being selfish whenever we choose ourself or yeah. you know our own you know family over someone else I tell my son currently um and that's a sidebar conversation we'll talk about it as soon as I click pause (laughs) but I tell my son currently you cannot continue to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm
1: oh that's good I like that I might have to steal that one
0: girl steal it it's all good we can (laughs) I think I might have stole it but but we can't continue to do that. I, I, and, and I tell him, you know, that was one of the things that I learned in that relationship was I'm no longer going to set myself on fire to keep this guy warm. I'm not doing that. I'm not walking around on eggshells. I'm not doing any of those things. Yeah. Because I, when we know our intention is good, we don't have to do that. Right. I think it was somewhere in the Bible. They said, don't let your um, good, someone speak ill of your good deeds. And that's what it feels like. Sometimes people, you know, you you have to save yourself. You you have to do that. So, thank you. This was fun. This was wonderful. Talking about that was fun. But if it helps someone else, it was it was fun to communicate with you. You're such a joy. Yeah. Such oh. a love. So yeah. Regina, thank you so much. Can you before before you go, I just want the listeners to know exactly where they can find you, um, how they can follow your story, um, the book release, the party, all of those things. And if you could just give a little bit of information how the listeners could find you, I would appreciate that.
1: Yeah. So I have two websites. My personal website is reginarossi.com. So R-E-G-I-N-A-R-O-S-S-I.com. That will lead you to the book website, but the book website is i ilovedyoumore.com.
0: Okay. All right. So listeners, you heard it here first, Regina and I are going to wrap up. I'm so thankful for her coming, sharing this space with me. Um, and this is not always easy to talk about. We're talking about our intimate relationships our success and failures, um, and it, it definitely will drum up a lot of emotions. So I thank you for allowing this space to be the space where you don't mind being vulnerable and talking to me um, about this particular conversation, about this particular personality, and of course about your beautiful life. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, and um, I wish you nothing but the best. And I can't wait to hear more about the forward being written by Dr. Phil. I cannot wait to hear more about. That. <laughs> Thank you, listeners. We're wrapping up again. I, I'm so grateful for you guys listening. Please continue to. Um, tune in to the podcast. Check out the YouTube page. You already know all the handles of our talks to podcast. Um, continue to follow us, support us, and and I'm thankful for you. So I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's your girl Queenie. I'm signing off. One love.